You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Your Bibles to the book of John, chapter number three, please. The Gospel of John, chapter number three. And uh, this morning I'd like to share with you perhaps the greatest sentence uh, that a man could ever utter. 25 powerful words that have brought souls to Christ for generations uh, the world over. Uh, This verse is every man's text, someone has called it. Uh, It's so simple that any child could grasp it, yet it's so profound that all the scholars of all the ages have never been able to plumb the depths of its content. It's been called the sweetest flower ever planted in the Holy Scripture. Here we have in a very few words the mind of God, the heart of God, and the will of God. One of the greatest reasons this text is inexhaustible is because it deals and reveals to us much about the person of God. And it reveals to us much about the love of God. Therefore, since we're dealing with an eternal person, since we're dealing with the love of Almighty God, we are dealing and and, and talking about an inexhaustible subject as we talk about the Lord and we talk about His love. Who can exhaust the subject of an eternal, self-existing God and His matchless love? John 3.16 is one of the more well-known verses uh, worldwide in the Word of God. And it's so sad today because I know for many people, since John 3.16 is often one of the verse, first scriptures that people commit to memory and so forth, uh, that it becomes, almost people think it's so simple that it's hardly worth dealing with. And that if you're going to get into a, a study deep and, and study about God, that sometimes it's left off. And, uh, but folks, this, this verse never gets old. Uh, I read about years ago, D.L. Moody was over in England, and and while he was over there, he uh, met a a preacher by the name of uh, Henry Morehouse, I believe was the preacher's name, and the the preacher come to Moody, and he just said, hey, maybe if I'm ever over in Chicago, I could stop by and preach at the Moody Church, and uh, and Moody's just like, sure, just kind of an afterthought. He didn't think the man would ever make it, but he got a telegram and said, I have arrived, uh, and I'm going to be at church this Sunday, and so rather reluctantly, Moody actually allowed the man to preach, but the man got up there, uh, Henry Morehouse, and he took the text, John 3.16, and he began to preach John 3.16 with such passion and such vigor uh, that D.L. Moody said, you know what, come back tomorrow night and preach again. And they got back tomorrow night, Monday night, they met once again at the church church service. Uh, The preacher stood up and he said, everyone turn to John 3.16. And he preached out of John 3.16 again. He came back Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Every time he opened up to the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse number 16, he did not preach the same message once. Because this verse could be preached. Matter of fact, as I was studying about this, it was interesting. I know of a of a preacher's conference to where dozens of preachers preach over a period of a couple of days. And at this particular conference, every preacher that was invited to preach was asked to speak on John 3.16. 
And that's all the information they were given. Come prepared to preach on John 3.16. Every preacher came and preached on John 3.16. But I'm telling you, none of the messages were exactly alike. Why? Because this verse is an inexhaustible verse. Why? Because it deals with an inexhaustible person. It deals with our eternal God. And it deals with the great, great love that He has toward a lost and a dying world. And so as we consider John 3.16, it's kind of interesting, John 3.16. Knowing John 3.16, and I challenge the young preachers, know John 3.16. I challenge every child of God in here today, know John 3.16. Commit it to memory. Uh, don't just commit it to memory, but com com commit it to memory and commit its principles and its truths to memory as well. For many of us, if you're saved by God's grace, I believe that you have a desire to share Christ with other people. I believe you have a desire to see your friends and your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors come to Christ. And so many get caught up and say, I don't think I know enough to share the gospel. I don't know if I know enough and can answer all the questions. You don't have to be able to answer all the questions. But I'm telling you, John 3.16 would be a great place to start. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a place to begin. Folks, and if you can grasp that verse and if you can share that verse with others, uh, there's many that have come to Christ through the truths of John 3.16. And folks, there's still more to come to Christ through John 3.16. My prayer today, I'll be honest with you, my prayer today is that someone will come to Christ today through the preaching of John 3.16. Amen. This great truth. It's interesting the depth of John 3.16 as you consider a couple of things about it. Uh, for one thing, John 3.16 actually answers and deals with many isms that we have in the world today. In other words, uh, at the very beginning, the Bible says, For God. That answers atheism, which says there is no God. For God. So love answers fatalism. That says God is, is an impersonal being. So fatalism or agnosticism. Uh, so for God so loved, the world answers nationalism. That says that that would say that God only loves one type of person. Or that one type of person or some race is better than one other. Folks, I'm glad that's not the case. Amen. For God so loved the world. By the way, you could say that God does love a race. But folks, the Bible teaches that there's one race. The human race. Uh, and that's the race that God loves. That's the race that Jesus came to become a man that he might be a part of the human race. But the world answers uh, that. That he gave answers materialism. It is more blessed to give than to receive. God gave. Uh, but not only that, his only begotten son answers Islam that says God did not have a son as well as Judaism. The whosoever answers Calvinism that would say that God only died for a few. Uh, that God only died for a chosen few. Whosoever. But then believes in Him answers pluralism that says that all religions are the same. Uh, believes in Him. Jesus Christ is the way. God made a way. And folks, He made a way that is uh, uh, plenty sufficient. The way God made is plenty sufficient. It is plenty accessible. It is, it is easy enough to understand God made the way. And so, uh, in matter of fact, Jesus says later on in John uh, 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This deals with pluralism. 
Jesus is the way. And folks, that's not cruel. That's merciful. Amen? Wouldn't it be terrible if there was all these different ways that you had to figure out which road to go? God made it real simple. Just know Christ. Amen? It's not through a certain church. It's not through something you do. It's through something that the Lord Jesus Christ has already done. And as I stand before you today, it is beginning to uh, come over me the thought that here I stand before you today, somebody that's saved by the grace of Almighty God. I think about where I was before the Lord saved me. I think about the, 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 the family I was brought up in. I was think, thinking about the fact that I didn't have an opportunity to hear the Gospel. I didn't hear the opportunity. I grew up more in a party atmosphere that I was following along and it blows my mind today I thank God for the day that I heard John 3 16 I thank God as I stand before you today that John 3 16 one day became real to me because there was something that I had believed for much of my life thank God for uh, what I did hear about God and the Bible because one thing I'd always believed I've shared this with you uh, I I was raised to believe that there was a God I was raised to believe that Christ was virgin born that He died on the cross that He rose again the third day I I, I believed all of those things but I believed them up here But folks, it wasn't until the truth of John 3.16 hit me, for God so loved the world, and we'll see this in just a moment, but the world right there, the the, the word that's used for world right there is a word that, that could mean each individual, each person, which is to say that if you were the only person, He would have died for you. And that He loves you. Somebody said, said it this way, and it's really true and it's really expressed in this verse. And even when you study uh, the meaning of some of the words in the language, you'll find out that it could truly be said that for God so loved you. You could put your name right there because it deals so specifically. In other words, if you were the only person in the world that needs saving, Jesus would have come to save you. He still would have come and died. He still would have rose again. God still would have give, gave His only begotten Son uh, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. So it answers uh, pluralism. Believes in Him. Then also should not perish. Answers annihilationism. Which says that there is no eternal punishment. Folks, there really is a place called hell. There really is a place called hell. There really is a lake of fire. Jesus preached about it uh, more than He preached about heaven. Uh, this Bible deals with it. And folks, if John 3.16 is true, so is Revelation 20 verse 15, that they which were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. And so there is, there is an eternal uh, damnation called hell and the lake of fire. Uh, but then not only that, but have everlasting life answers Arminianism. That says God gives conditional love. Uh, Wednesday we were preaching out of Ephesians about husbands love your wives as Christ so loved the church. And I talked about the husband in a sense being a a savior. But one of the examples that's given there that we talked about is that our wives need to know that we'll never leave them nor forsake them. Amen? That love for our wives need to be an unconditional love. They don't need to think that if they say something wrong, do something wrong, have a bad attitude, burn the biscuits, you know, uh, whatever else. Uh, I mean, listen, wash your white shirt with red clothes and turn them pink. They need to know that you're not going anywhere. Amen? And that's exactly the way He is. Uh, Somebody asked me, I've had people ask me before, where do you get this idea of eternal salvation from? I say, I get it from the Bible. Amen? I can get it right here from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Amen. Uh, you know what everlasting life is? Everlasting life is, you look it up, it's everlasting. It lasts forever. Amen. Uh, I can be a smart aleck sometimes, and some of that's passed down to my kids. My wife's worse than me. But my son's really good at those things as well. I can't remember what I asked him uh, the other day, but it was something along those lines. If I would have asked him what everlasting means, he'd just say lasting forever, you know, which is exactly right. That's exactly what it means. And so I'm glad that's the kind of life that he gives me eternal life. And I want you to know when eternal life begins is when you accept Christ as your Savior. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, and maybe that's not, nothing for you to get too excited about, but for a sinner like me, that's something to get excited about. Amen. I'm glad that it's an unconditional love. He, sa he saved me. He changed me. And I'm glad He gave me eternal life. Amen. And so, John 3.16 answers so much. John 3.16. But not only that, but we, we read the context. The very first word in John 3.16 is for is four. Four is a conjunction that reminds us of the context. And so, uh, for a moment, look with me at these verses in John 3, beginning in verse number 14. The Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want to read verse 14 one more time. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, the, the, the context of this passage, if you go back to John 3 verse 1, is that Jesus was talking to a religious man. He was talking to a man of the Pharisees. He was talking to a devout man. He was talking to a clean living man. But he was talking to a man that did not know Christ as Savior. Did not know the forgiveness of sins. Because we are not forgiven uh, of our sins by being a religious person. Or by being a good person. Or any of those things, folks. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, You must be born again. And then he moves on and he gives a, a story that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with, an illustration as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Uh, you don't have to turn over there, but I would encourage you uh, to get familiar with Numbers 21 because that's where you would find the reference that Jesus uh, is, is, has right here about the serpent being lifted up. It's a simple illustration. And that's one of the cool things is this whole passage here starts with a simple illustration, a serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. And it ends with a simple invitation. One of the most simple and profound sentences ever penned, and it's right here. But the, the, the story in Numbers 21 is a story of sin. And much like the story in Numbers 21 begins with sin, our story begins with sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible lets us know that the origin of that sin goes all the way back to Adam. But uh, we, so as a result of Adam, we were all born sinners. But as a result of our own sinful nature, not only were we born sinners, but soon enough, we chose to sin. Yeah. We were sinners by birth, but we all became sinners by choice. And so the story in Numbers 21 begins with sin. Our story begins with sin. Now, the holiness and the justice of God tells us something. Sin will be reckoned with. The Lord will not tolerate sin. And sin's going to be dealt with. And so as a result of the sin, and don't get too bent out of shape about that, it's, it's much like this. It's a whole lot like, you know, us as a parent telling our kids not to touch a hot oven. 
And when they touch the hot oven, it's like the kid getting mad at us that they were burned. No, there's just a natural consequence. If you take the choice to touch this hot oven, you're getting burned. If you take, if when we take the choice to rebel against God, folks, we're getting burned. There's just a natural consequence that comes along with that. But in the story, it's a story of judgment, but it's also a story of grace. Folks, and I'm glad uh, we don't, people may not like to hear the story of judgment, but it needs to be heard. There's a reason that Jesus had to die on the cross, as we'll see here in just a moment, but it's a story of grace. Because I'm telling you, always, 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 in wrath, God remembers mercy. Amen. The only reason when, when, when God brings our sin up to us, it is not to beat us in the ground with it. It's so that we can get some help and get rescued from it. Amen. Amen. It's so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. It's so that we can be put in the right relationship with Him because there's nothing that God wants greater than for you and I to walk close with Him and for Him to walk close with us. There's nothing more than God wants than to bless your home, to bless your life, to bless your family, to use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's what God desires. He desires the very best for you. And it's just like us again. If we desire the best for someone we love, then that means the things that are hindering that best, we would like to see out of a person's life, correct? And so uh, Moses lifted up the serpent. He intervened. And God said, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make a brazen serpent. Out of brass, I want you to make a snake. Well, isn't that an interesting thought? I want you to make a snake. The snake is out here what's killing people. And what the Bible says is that Jesus was made to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 In other words, Jesus on the cross, He never sinned, folks. But He took our sin. And when He was lifted up, all of our sins and the sins of all mankind was placed upon the darling Son of God. And so He became sin. He didn't sin, but He became sin. And so God said, Moses, make a brazen serpent. Put it on a pole and lift it up. Lift it up. And He says, all you must do, Moses, is you go around the camp and you hold that up. And you hold it up high. He's trying to see if we're going to hit something. <laughs> you hold it up high. You hold it up where everyone can see it. Amen. And what the Bible tells us in the book of Numbers is that if they would look, they would live. Amen. If they would simply look, they would live. I like what the Bible says in Isaiah 45 verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. See, what this teaches us, it teaches us something about the simplicity of salvation. It teaches us something about God's grace in salvation. Because how many people could be healed if they would look to that brazen serpent? Anyone who would look. Anyone who would look. Oh, my friend, listen. I'm glad that, that, that when the, the remedy was given, they didn't try to give out some anti-venom. They didn't say you need to go climb a pole or limbo under a pole or jump over a pole. And I say all those things because in essence, that's what many churches and religions do today. This is what you need to do to be healed of your snake bite. But I'm telling you, ultimately those people are going to die, pay the consequences for their sin with never, never having it dealt with. Simply look at that uplifted serpent. All who would look, all who would simply look. 
He didn't say, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. And then at the end, you better make sure you do this. No, just look. Look, look, believing, look, trusting. Folks, this is not just a casual look. This is an intense look. This is a look that says I'm looking because I believe if I'm to look at this serpent, that seems like an absurd thing to do. But this is what God said to do. So I'm going to look. And whosoever would look would live. Whosoever would look would live. While other people are over here tying up tourniquets and I mean, you know, and trying to draw out the venom and all of that. Uh, and, and somebody, maybe a friend comes up and says, Hey, scrap that. Get rid of that and just look. Amen. Amen. That's the message of salvation. That's what we as God's people need to do. Amen. Look, look, look unto him. We see people trying to be saved through their works and through their churches and through all these other things. We need to say, no, no. You just need to look to Christ. He's the one that makes the way. He's already paid the price. He's been lifted up. On January 6th, 1850, there was a snowstorm that almost crippled the city of Colchester, England. And there was a teenage boy that was unable to get to church that he usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared layman was substituting because the storm was so bad that the preacher could not show up that night. And so one of the men of the church, and I'm glad for men in this church, I can imagine that happening here. If that for some reason the regular scheduled preacher wasn't here, I can imagine there's some men in this church that would say, we, we, don't leave, let's get up here and talk about God. Amen. And that's what this man did. There was just a layman that said, well, I guess I'll get up and share a verse. And he got up and he turned to Isaiah 45 verse 22 and said, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For many months, this young teenager had been miserable. He had been under deep conviction. God had been working on his heart about being saved. He was raised in church. His father and his grandfather were preachers. But he himself did not have the assurance of salvation. The unprepared substitute man, the layman, did not have much to say. He didn't have any notes, so he just kept repeating the text. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he said, a man need not go to college to learn to look. He shouted, anyone can look. A child can look. And he's talking about the simplicity. About that time, he saw the young teenage visitor sitting over in the corner. And he looked at him and he said, Young man, you look very miserable tonight. You need to look to Jesus. Look to Christ tonight. And just for a few 10 to 15 minutes, this man went on. And when he was done, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the young teenager, came forward and called on the Lord, looked unto the Lord, and was saved by God's grace. You, many of you may not know that name, but Charles Haddon Spurgeon became a great preacher of the gospel. He became a great preacher of the gospel of Christ. But it all started with a layman that was willing to get up and just try his best to share some verses. Amen? And share his heart from the, word, from the Word of God. Look unto me, and be ye saved, ye end of the earth. See, the difference between perishing and living, between condemnation and salvation, folks, is faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus could well have come to this world as judge and destroyed every rebellious sinner and He would have been in His rights to do so. But in love, He came to this world as our Savior. He died for us on the cross. He became the uplifted serpent. The serpent in Moses' day brought physical life to the dying Jews. But Jesus Christ gives eternal life to anyone, to whosoever will trust Him. See, according to some people's theology, they wouldn't have been sure about holding this up because what if someone out there is not one of the chosen, you know? You're not supposed to look. He didn't say you look and you don't. That Some of you are going to look and not live. He said, no, if you look, you will live. And so when we consider John 3.16, but we consider the love of God, we consider the simplicity, we consider the eternal nature, uh, the love of God. Oh, my friend, there's a, a song that was written called The Love of God. And they say this, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. There was a preacher preaching one day and he was trying to preach about John 3.16. He said, just imagine with me for a moment. He says, if I were able to borrow Jacob's ladder and if I was able to stretch that ladder and put it on this earth and and the top of that ladder reached to heaven and if I could walk up uh, that that ladder up into that golden uh, eternal bliss and if I could find Gabriel and he'd say, Gabriel, can you help me? I would like to be able to go back to earth and I'd like to be able to describe and tell someone what the love of God is all about. And he said that Gabriel would just look back at him and say, I'll tell you, are you ready? He says, I'm ready. And he says, okay, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, my friend, when we think about the undescribable, because to try to attempt to describe John 3.16 is to describe the indescribable, to explain uh, the inexplicable, to define the indefinable. As I share with you from this dynamic verse a few points about John 3.16, For one thing, we see that God's love is a global love. For God so loved the world. We see that this love is the gospel. This love is global, but this love is gospel. Gospel means good news. And folks, I'm glad we've got good news for a lost and dying world. What is it? It's the love of God. It's the love of Almighty God, an eternal God that loves you, a God that knows you. The Bible says in Psalm 139, He knows your your down-sitting and your uprising. He sees your thought afar off. But the Bible goes on to say that He loves you with an everlasting love. (laughs) Oh man, have you ever met some people that, that feel like they weren't deserving of love? Let me tell you something, people. We live in a world to where there's a lot of people that have never experienced love. We've had, we live with a bunch of children that aren't, that aren't experiencing love from their parents. They're rejected of their parents. And we have some of those people that have gone up to be adults. 
And, and some of them have grown up to be even senior citizens. And they've never known unconditional love. Folks, you know what the Bible says? That God, in 1 John chapter number 4, it says that God lo- God's love is perfected in us. That is to say this, that it's through us that we're to show this kind of love. Amen? It's through us that we can look at the sinner and say, Jesus loves you. Oh, my friend, I'm glad that we can look at the drunk. We can look at the druggie. We can look at the harlot. There is not one out there that we can say, oh, what? maybe not you. Oh, no, I'm glad when uh, Brother Wesley Hutchins walked into that Methodist church uh, so many years ago. I'm glad they didn't say, Wesley, who? Well, Wesley, we're going to preach about the grace of God today. And we're going to talk about how God can save today. But you're too mean. And you're too rough. And, and, and you're not worth it. You're not worth it. Oh, no, I'm glad that's not the case, aren't you? That preacher was able to stand up there boldly, look right dead in his eyeballs, and say, for God so loved the world, and that's you. And I can look at you today and say, for God so loved the world, and that is you. Oh, I remember years ago that I uh, that we were out uh, inviting people to church, and we knocked on this uh, lady's door, and uh, and we invited. Her, said, "Man, we'd love for you to come and visit our church." And she said, "And it was in a it was in a rough uh, section of town, not far from where we grew up, uh, right where we grew up." But uh, we we went there, and she said, "You don't want me in your church. You don't want me in your church." I said, ma'am, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done. But I'll tell you right now, we want you in our church. I didn't stop and say, oh, um, can you tell me why? So that way I can decide whether or not we do want you in the church. Oh, no. I didn't have to ask. I said, ma'am, I don't know anything about you. But I'll tell you one thing right now. We want you in our church. And this, this woman worked at a place called Leather and Lace. This woman had uh, exploited herself. This woman was in a terrible place. And she told me that. I said, man, that doesn't matter one bit. I said, Jesus loves you. Oh, Jesus cares about you. And let me tell you, we want you in church Sunday. Praise God. She was in church that next day. Amen. Uh, Why? Because we can tell them that God loves you. God loves you. And by the way, let me tell you something about the love of God. God's love is too pure, too wise, too holy to love our sin. Oh, we've got such a confused society today. For us, for, for you know, you, you, you come into my family. You come into some that's been in my wife's family through the years. And you look at the alcoholism, the drunkenness that's been in And you look at the harm that it's done to our families. It would be foolish for us to come in here today and say, you know what? We want to have a getting drunk celebration day at Elk Point Baptist Church today. That's what we want to do. We want to celebrate all the drunkards and all the alcohol. And we just want because we love alcoholics. Would that be a little misguided? That would be a little misguided. Because we're not celebrating what's destroying people. We don't want to celebrate what's destroying people's homes. What's destroying people's families. What's destroying people's bodies. No. We're not going to celebrate that. We're not going to say, oh, we love it so much. What? Are you a fucking foolish person? We don't love that sin, but we love that person. Amen? We love that person. We love what the Lord... We love those who the Lord loves. And He loves you. And there's not a person that we can't look in their eyeballs and say, I love you today. There's three churches, I believe that's maybe on this very Sunday today, there's three churches in Vermilion that are having a gay pride celebration at their combined services today. 
Well, that's great because they're, they're loving gay people. They don't love gay people as much as we do. They don't love the homosexual as much as this church loves the homosexual. You know why I say that? Because we care, care enough about them to love them, to, to hug their necks, I mean, to welcome them with loving arms, but at the same time say, but you need some help, amen? Uh, listen, just, we, we, why don't we have, maybe next month they'll have a, uh, you know, uh, celebrate adultery Sunday. But do you not love people that commit adultery or have committed adultery? We need to celebrate that. No, what? Why do we have to celebrate the sin? Why can't we just love the sinner? That's what God does. Whatever our sin is, lying. Let's have a, a service celebrating liars today. You know, let's have a service. And by the way, this is, I guess, for a lot of churches, they have a, maybe every week they have a service celebrating hypocrites. But uh, let's have a service celebrating hypocrites today. Uh, what I'm saying is that is a perversion of the love of God. It's silly. It's silly to think it's just like a doctor coming to us and saying, this cancer's destroying you. But we're going to have a celebrate cancer day. Because we love, we, we love you. And we don't want to say nothing bad about cancer because somebody might get offended. I'd hate to have a doctor that didn't want to talk to me about cancer because he was scared I'd get offended. But the doctor could say, he's going to think I don't love him if I tell him he has cancer. He's going to think I don't love him. Don't give me that idiot doctor. Please. Give me a doctor that loves me enough to say, buddy, there's a problem, but we can help you. Or we're going to do what we can to help you. We're going to do everything we can because we care about you. The love of God is not license, amen. The love of God is global. The love of God is gospel, which means that it's good news. <laughs> the love of God is grace. It's, his love is pure grace. None of us can earn it. None of us can earn it, but it's to whosoever believeth in Him. This love is a gift, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, in John 3.16, we see the origin of love. God. God so loved the world. We see the overflow of love. God so loved the world. Oh, my friend, He loves the world so much. Oh, my friend, that's why we want to help missionaries that are going in this country and around the world. Because God loves souls. That's why we want to let the world know that God can save you. That's why we say it and we mean it. Everyone is welcome in this church. Amen. Because we believe the grace of God can help us and change us by, uh, by His marvelous love. So His love is a pure grace. His love is a pure gift. Shall not perish. The origin of love is God. The overflow of this love uh, is so loved. The object of this love is the world. Man. See, because people get the wrong idea in this day and age. I was mentioning homosexuality and all that earlier. You know, some people almost act as if that's the only sin. Folks, we're all sinners. Amen. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and, and there's a very important truth we all need to understand. The ground is level, level at the foot of Calvary. This religious person that has been good all their lives, being good to people all their lives, that has kept all the rules all their lives, they don't come to God on some higher plane and God say, oh, they're going to be easier to save because they're lifted up so high, but now I've got to go down to the depths to save this homosexual or this adulterer or this, uh, this blasphemer or this liar or this whatever the case may be. Oh, no. Folks, the ground is level. 
The ground is level. And it's level up here. Amen. It's level down here. The Bible says we're all in the pit. Amen. And for any of us to get saved, folks, He had to come down and get us. Hallelujah. And I'm glad He did. Aren't you? I'm glad He come got me. And here's the truth of the matter. And I can agree with the Apostle Paul as I stand with you today. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I don't think there's anybody out there worse than me. There may be people out there that are doing worse things than me, arguably. But you say, well, man, how, how bad things are you doing? I'll tell you one thing. It's a pretty bad thing, child of God, for you to know the gospel and not to share it with somebody. Right. How cruel is that? Amen. Amen. That's not near as cruel as killing someone. I'm sorry, that's, that's crueler than killing someone, I should Amen. say. Because we, we have the truth. We have the anecdote. Right. And we just have to share it with somebody. That's pretty cruel, folks. I mean, to sin against the great love of God, to sin against all that God's done, to ever, ever say no to the Lord about anything He tells me to do. Amen. Man, Amen. what I'm saying is, ground's level at the foot of the cross. God has to rescue all of us. Amen. And so there's not one of us, there's not one of us by the great, because of God's love, because of His grace, that ever holds up our noses high in the air and says, looks at me. Look at me and flip our suspenders and, and, uh, and, and, and pat ourselves on the back and all that stuff. No, because I tell you, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you know that Jesus had to come down to the pit to get you. Amen. And all we are is we're somebody that God's drug up out of that pit and we're going telling somebody else that's down in that pit, no matter what it is, and saying Jesus can save you too. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad we've got that truth. I'm glad that we know that grace. He loves the love of God. He loves definitely. There's no question about it. For God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, my friend, He loves definitely. He loves uniquely. He loves uniquely. The people that cuss His, his name and deny His existence, He still loves them. Are some of you glad for that? Because there's people in here that cussed His name. There's people here that denied His existence. But here you are today, saved by God's grace. He loves definitely. He loves uniquely. He loves incredibly. His love is expressive in its action. For God so loved the world that He gave. It's expressive in its action. It's extraordinary in its choice. For God so loved the world. It's expensive. In its sacrifice. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's expensive in its sacrifice. It's extensive in its offer. That whosoever will. It's exclusive in its bestowment. This is the only time you'll hear me say something about the gospel being exclusive. It's exclusive in its bestowment. What do you mean? Uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. In other words, how do you get this salvation? It's not by being a good person, but it's by putting your faith and trust in what He did on the cross of Calvary and rising again on the third day. It's, uh, so it's exclusive in its bestowment. It's exceptional in its work. Shall not perish. Amen. Should not perish. Folks, I'm glad I stand before you today. I've had people tell me where to go before and it hadn't been heaven. But I'm telling you one thing right now. Somebody can tell me to go, and I'm talking about the literal place right now. Someone can literally tell me to go to hell today, and I can look at them and say, I'm sorry, I can't. Amen. <laughs> I can't, amen. Why? Because the grace of God, the love of God is exceptional in its work. I can't. Why? Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what He has done for me. It's exceptional in its work. It's eternal in its blessedness. 
everlasting life. And I'll close with these verses that follow John 3.16. The Bible says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17, but that the world through Him might be saved. Somebody says, oh, all this talk of condemnation. No, He did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Verse 18, here it is. This is so important, so vital. What does a person have to do to be condemned? What does a person have to do to face eternal judgment in a literal lake of fire? Notice this. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. What does a person have to do? Nothing. To be condemned, a person must do nothing. He that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to be a drunk. You don't have to be an adulterer. You don't have to have any be, be guilty of, you know, we think of what the, with these really gross sins. No, we're all sinners. Which means we are condemned already. Why? Why are we condemned? Not because of all these sins we've done, but because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, the real reason people face condemnation is for not accepting Christ. That's it. That's why it's not, oh, you've done this sin, so you're going to hell. You've done this one, that one's not as bad. No, we've all done sin. We're all worthy of hell and deserving of hell. But the thing is, it's because we have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse number 19, look at the problem here. Look at the problem. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be made manifest. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they were wrought in God. So here's the thing. Why is it that people don't want to get saved? You say, oh, it's scientific reasons, it's philosophical reasons. No, I'll tell you at the heart of it all. Because I'm telling you folks, the truth of God's Word, I've said it many times, stands up to science. Amen. Yeah. True science. The truth of God's Word stands up to science. It stands up to true psychology. It stands up to true, uh, true philosophy, sound philosophy. God's Word stands up to all that. So what happens when someone comes and faces that? So the reason is not an intellectual reason. Have you heard me say it time and time again? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They do not want to turn from their sin to turn to the darling Son of God. They do not want to turn from their sin to turn to the darling Son of God. Who among you would give your child to save anyone in here today? Who among you would give your child to give uh, to, to save someone in this church today? I wouldn't. I would not give my child for any of you. I hope to think that I would give my life for, for you, but I would not give my child's life for you. I would not exchange my child's life for your life. Much more if you were a terrible person. Right? But that's what God did. God gave His only begotten Son... See, John 3.16, it's about the love of God. It's about their son. And I'm, my son's probably sitting there nervous thinking, is he going to get me up there again? I'm thinking about it. Why don't you just stand up a second? I'll, how about that? There's my boy. I'm proud of him. But I'm telling you right now, he's so awkward right now, but I would not give, I would not give him for any of you. Amen. Thank you, buddy. You can sit down. I wouldn't do it. I love him way too much. He drives me crazy, but I love him way too much. But can you imagine? But here's the thing. 
bring, bring it back a little bit, and you've, you've seen me do this before, but I try to do it because of the trying to get some understanding. Imagine that I did give my son for you. Imagine that your only hope was for me to give my son for you, and I did that. Then imagine that I come and say, hey, I gave Evan for you. Now all you must do is, 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 is follow me. All, all you must do is, is pray to trust Christ. And imagine if you said, no, no, no. Maybe later. Not right now. Or come up with any number of excuses. At the heart of it oftentimes is that we still want to do our own thing. We do not want to turn loose of our... See, for many people, it's not just we think of somebody not wanting to give up their alcohol or their, or their fornication or their adultery or something of that nature, uh, their, 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 uh, their shady business practices that they've been profiting from. People not wanting to give up those. But I tell you one of the toughest things, really what it really comes down to, people don't want to give up their pride. Some of the toughest people are those people that have been religious people. Oh, well, I've been baptized. I've been a Christian my whole life. Ah, da, 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 da. Pride. See, they're not willing to humble themselves. They're not willing to get their, bow their heads and their hearts before God and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I deserve hell. But Jesus, You took my hell on the cross by bearing my sin. And God, I want You to forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin. I turn to You today. Save my soul. See, God has done so much. I say it this way all the time. As, as Miss Sonia comes and as everyone stands, think about how far God has come to save you. You talk, talk about somebody going far. And by the way, that's why I don't, I don't have much time for anybody that would ever... Now, believe me, I'm very patient when someone says this because it's out of ignorance. But when someone says something along the lines of, you know, well, what, God's not a loving God and blah, blah, blah. Are you serious? You looked at the cross lately? Look at the cross. Child of God, we, we, need, we need never to hang our heads when somebody says, what kind of God do you have? We say, we got a great God. Amen. He loved you. He died for you on the cross. If you'll humble yourself and turn to Him, He'll save your soul. Do not reject Him today. He that believeth on Him, He came so far. He went as far as to give His Son. He came as far as to bring you perhaps to this place this morning and give you an opportunity. I mean, sit it in your lap. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He sits it right in your lap today and says, Okay, just call on me. Turn and call on me. Look unto me. Would you push that away? God's come so far. You've just got to take that one small step. See, God let go of His Son. Would you be willing to let go of your will today and give your will over to Him? Do not say no to God. Do not say no to the Lord and regret it eternally. As these are praying this morning, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You, dear Lord, for the privilege of being here today. I thank You for Your great love. Lord, I don't believe I even scratched the surface of Your love, of Your grace, of Your mercy. Lord, I pray that You'd please help today, dear God, for this truth, God, to resound in the hearts of everyone that's here. And if there's anyone here today that's not saved, Lord, I pray this would be the glad day that they would trust You as Savior. 
With every head bowed, every eye closed, these are praying. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you can accept Him today. The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you will call upon the Lord from your heart today, you can be saved. If you will turn to Him, admit your sin to Him, turn from your sin, and ask Him to save you. You can have eternal life, amen. Will you look today? How do I look, preacher? You look from a prayer. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If from your heart today you can tell the Lord, God, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Will you please forgive me of my sins? Come into my heart and life and be my Savior. There's no power in those mere words, but if, if, if that's the attitude of your heart today, you can be saved. Let's sing a stanza or two of this, and then we will be dismissed.